to Let's Talk, The Pastor is In. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk's the program for the Christian layman. You know, the Lutheran who believes, but maybe has some questions. In short, well, the program is designed for someone just like me. There's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily something soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been on my mind for a while, and I find that rather getting into a deep theological discussion... The casual front porch style talk with the pastor is the best way to understand it. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest pastor is Bill Swirla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. I have my questions, and, well, I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to let's talk at kfuo.org. Or you can call into the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, and that includes Metro East, you can reach us at area code 314-821-0850. Or anywhere in the lower 28, 28, right, 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 48, you can you can reach us uh, toll-free at 1-800-730-2727. Well, you know, life is full of awful surprises for us. You know, it's unpleasant, some not so pleasant, just things that are happening, and we certainly are aware of this in this year 2020. And uh, one of the uncertain surprises that have just happened is I can't get a hold of my guest, Bill Swirla, our uh, producer. Uh, Stephanie Licklider is working on that right now. So I'm going to start. Uh, we had a good topic for discussion, and here's what we're going to talk about. Um, basically, it's about faith. You know, I recently lost a close relative, and I've had other deaths in my life. Uh, I've lost a wife. Of course, both my parents are gone. And frankly, I'm getting up there in age myself, and I have to wonder. You know, my time on this earth is um, somewhat limited. Who knows how long, much, how much longer I have? And I'm going to have to think about how am I going to face it how am i going to do this well you know we we lutherans have have the uh, the notion that there's only three things that we need faith alone grace alone and the word alone and this should be sufficient to see us coming into the into the kingdom of god but the question when we approach that time when we know that our time is limited and we're about maybe to to go out and we sit there and look and think on our last few moments and wonder, is my faith strong enough? Golly, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm afraid. Well, should we be afraid if we have faith? After all, we have the guarantee that's given to us by Jesus himself. He conquered death on the cross. He came back from the dead. He let us know what's going on. And, you know... Our, one of our magazines here at the LCMS is called The Lutheran Witness. And it just so happens that the current issue is called The Art of Dying Well. Boy, now what on earth does the art of dying well mean? <laughs> well, I'm going to quote here a little bit. Um, the uh, editor there is, uh, is uh, Roy S. Askins, who has served uh, in the church in many, many ways, including uh, heading the Asian branch of the uh, mission. And uh, right now he is the editor for Lutheran Witness Magazine. And in the, the, in the um, message to the reader that, uh, that Roy wrote about the art of dying well, he says, you know, death isn't a good thing. 
God imposed it on Adam and Eve and the entire human race as punishment for sin. How then does one die well? With faith and confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, now we can all accept that. But again, what is enough faith? Is my faith strong enough? Do I really, really know that I'm going to be sitting with, with Jesus? Well, there is that question, isn't there? And as luck would have it, Bill Swirla, who was supposed to be my guest and we're still trying to reach, just happened to have an article in this issue of Lutheran Witness addressing this very, very issue. It's called Enough Faith. Now the question is, how do I know I have enough faith? I've known people who think they believe, but they trusted themselves instead. Can I trust my faith? Interesting. Well, here's what Bill wrote. The question of faith is very important one, since we're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Now, there are three things to consider in answering this question. Faith. Well, faith is never simply just bare faith. It's always been an object, you know, something or someone to trust. The object of saving faith is Jesus Christ. Now, we're saved from sin and from eternal death through faith in Christ and his saving death and his resurrection. Faith trusts in Jesus Christ and him crucified and not in itself. We trust Jesus to save us because we don't trust ourselves. A good way to test your faith is to replace the word faith with Jesus. Your faith has saved you. Your Jesus has saved you. When faith and Jesus are interchangeable, well, then you start thinking correctly about faith. Now, that's just the first paragraph of the story. And boy, we've got a lot going on. Ah, well, looks like we got him. Hello, Bill. Bill, are you there? Bill, are you are you with us? Hello, Bill. Hello, Bill. Are hello, you there? Hello. There, yes. Ah, I am. There, I am. there you are. Forgot to forgot to uh, power up my my uh, condenser microphone here. Well, that's no fun. Hey, sorry, sorry, I'm late. I uh, I it, uh, blame it on it's, it was the COVID. I, I blame every you know in in the COVID era, you can blame anything on the COVID. Say hey, oh, you know I'm really sorry for missing that meeting. It was the COVID. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, as a matter, well, I'm glad you're finally here. But <laughs> I yeah, well, you were making good sense. Though. I was listening to you. I liked what you. What, what, what were you reading from there? That was really good. Well, by the, this article by this crackpot pastor out in California, guy by the name of Bill oh, Spurla, reading... you know him. <laughs> That's why. That's why it was good. Yeah, you're reading my article. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, yeah we we like, like to hear our. You know. You know how we like to. We we like to see things that reflect ourselves. We love to hear things that that are in our own words. <laughs> well, it depends upon what those words are. <laughs> yeah. I can think of some things I've written in the past. I'd be very very embarrassed to have resurface. Oh, we should we should look for those, Kip. No, let's, we shouldn't. Let's do a show on things. Things in Kip's life that he regrets. <laughs> oh Lord, we could fall a few hours with that one. But you, <laughs> yeah, no. but you know, words, words. Let's are like do it that. for Lent. You know, Lent is it's a repentant season, so we could we could do it for as your kind of Lenten penance. Oh, okay, but we have to reserve. We'll, dre we'll dredge up. We'll dredge up things from your broadcasting past. That'd be fun. <laughs> I, I would. I would. In, I would enjoy that. 
well, <laughs> I will simply say broadcasting has changed from the days of hedonism back in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> not for the better. I, I'm not sure broadcasting has changed for the better. <laughs> well, fortunately, I'm a lot older now, so I can't really enjoy this even if I wanted to. <laughs> older, wi older, wiser, and less capable. That's the, you know, those three together, that's it. That's, you know, keeps you out of trouble. Okay. Oh, yeah. You know, part of the problem, Bill, is that I, I look back at some of the things that I did back in my younger and wilder days, and I know these are things that I should not have done, that they were sinful, that I was being disrespectful to God, being disrespectful to myself. But, you know, the heck of it is I look back on a lot of that with nostalgia. Yeah, right. And and you say, you know, uh, if if I had it to do over again, I'd probably do the same thing. <laughs> so the right. psalmist says, look, look, you know, consider not the sins of my youth or my rebellious ways. Uh, you know, there's something about when that prefrontal cortex is not fully developed and we don't connect action with consequence, commandment with, uh, <laughs> with behavior. Um, not making excuses, but things go wrong. And uh, that, that's why when, when you're older and wiser and less capable, you can look back on that and say, ooh, that was not a good idea. And you can have one of those father-son talks, like the book of Proverbs. You know, my son, listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. I've been there. I've done that. You don't want to do that. And you really don't want the T-shirt. Okay, I'm just saying so. <laughs> yeah. But you're, you're reading from, from the Lutheran Witness on yeah. the art of dying, the Ars Moriendi. Um, by the way, I think one of the most, one of the, uh, one of the best, and I'm not saying this because I'm the first article in it, um, but one of the best Lutheran witnesses in, in kind of, I mean, it's, I think it's really going to be recognized as a significant um, addition. It, oh, it is really so. well done. Well, I, I hope maybe it expands into a little, a little book of some sort that it doesn't just simply uh, reside as a periodical publication, but this might morph into one of those small format uh, devotional kind of books that you like to have on the nightstand or like prayer books or things like that. Well, you know, we're all going to be facing this sooner or later. We all know this. And uh, just looking at some of the, the uh, articles that are written in this thing, I'm really good. Now, first of all, there's yours, no faith. Then there's fear of death, baptismal confidence, the pain of dying. Now, that's one I'm afraid of. Incorrect reception of the supper, haunting sins. That's another one. Yeah, Prime that's the life. one that's really troubling you uh, on the basis of this conversation right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's some things I, I've done that I know I should regret and I haven't. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> family provision, very important. Yes. Too much to do. What about hospice? Why am I alive? Oh, yeah. Fear of nursing homes. Mm. Deathbed conversion. Losing memories. That's a terrifying one. Mm -hmm. Overwhelmed by grief. Fear of the moment of death. Enough good works. Well, these are questions. I mean, I, yeah, they, these are good. Uh, you know, there's um, there's a there's a, a little booklet uh, that Johann Gerhardt put out uh, during the that terrible time of the Thirty Years' War, the Black Plague, and everything. You know, and he buried thousands of people. It was probably his main occupation as a pastor was burying people, including his own family, his wife. But he wrote these uh, these these little devotions on uh, you know consolations for the dying. And it, it kind of uses that same format. It deals with the, the kind of the big issues that come 
before us uh, that trouble our hearts, our minds, our spirits uh, when we consider our mortality and when we're facing, really, truly facing death, not as an abstract thing, but when it becomes a real concrete thing, which I think for a lot of people in this uh, pandemic era, um, you know, the, there's much more of a reality to death and dying. Not that, you know, people are dying all over the place, but, you know, there are increased numbers of death due to a new disease, mm-hmm. and and uh, there's a general fear of uh, contagion and, and that kind of thing. And um, I, I think it's these, these kind of uh, theological devotional approaches to death that are really, really, really important. And I think a wonderful uh, contribution that Christianity brings to the bigger human conversation of dying and what it means to die. We're kind of experts, you know, because we, are, we follow the one who died and rose. And, and so where everybody else kind of checks out on death, doesn't want to talk about it, lives in denial of it, or tries to just kind of, you know, they, they, they try to put a pretty gloss on it or something. I think we as Christians who know the crucified and risen one, who ourselves have been baptismally buried with Christ and raised with him, we have this perspective on death and dying that I think is is not only unique, but it's essential. I think it's something that, that the, the world needs to hear very clearly. But as you pointed out in the article, what's enough faith? And when you're actually facing that moment and you say to, my, you say to yourself, oh my gosh, have I had enough faith? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that, you know, in the article I go into, there are kind of two ways of looking at faith. One is uh, subjectively, that's how I perceive my believing. Uh, I, I, t- I tend to think of, you know, some of my, my family, my relatives, uh, especially those who are, who are Roman Catholic, who very often will talk about their faith and they'll say, you know, oh, so-and-so has great faith or I have my faith, you know, and and that's fine. I, I know what that means. And that's a that's a, a popular and colloquial way of speaking. But I think we need to be reminded that that faith is objective. It's, you believe in something, you trust something outside of yourself. You don't you don't trust your trusting, but you trust in something or someone. And that trust then is your basis for confidence. And so it's that other side of faith, faith in Christ, faith that trusts Christ, faith that clings to his merits, faith that says, you know, I stand before God righteous for Jesus' sake. Um, that kind of faith is not strong or weak. It's not, you know, it, I think the way I said it in the article is it, it doesn't have a volume knob. It just has an on-off switch. Well, one, I, one, either tr- one either trusts in Christ or one does not trust in Christ, but there's not. I kind of trust him a little bit, but you know, not not totally. Um, I'm you know, I'm getting better. I'm working on it. See, usually when when things go on a sliding scale and are graded, the, the next thing that we always say is I'm working on it, which is entirely not what faith is about. Faith is not something you work on. Yeah, you, you have can, or you don't. You can work through it, like Paul says in Philippians. You can work through your salvation with fear and trembling, but you you can't you can't sort of like conjure up faith. Oh, I need more faith. Um, you you have the faith that God gives you, and that faith is sufficient. Uh, remember Peter, you know, he wanted to walk on water. You know, if it's really you, Lord, tell me to. Come. And so you know, he does. It's a come, and Peter walks on the water. And then he starts, he gets some distance from the boat and he's, you know, hanging out in the wind and the waves and he looks around and, 
and he doubts and he starts to sink and Jesus catches him and says, you know, oh, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And see, even little faith, even mustard seed sized faith, as far as we can perceive it, uh, can move mountains and tell the trees to go jump in the sea. But uh, so, you know, I think Jesus really redirects the size of faith thing to himself. It's really about Jesus. It's not about your believing, but it's about the Jesus in whom you believe. That's what matters. He's the ground of our certainty, not our believing. And that's one of the reasons for uh, for weekly church service, I think, is to remind us of the very reality of Jesus himself. Uh, you know, Jesus was on this earth, what, 2,000 years ago? And, uh, you know, we don't have anybody around today who actually saw him. <laughs> it's just, But the Bible is still there. Uh, but we have to be reminded of this. We have to know Jesus in a very real sense. Uh, I think this is one of the purposes for the uh, for the, the Holy Supper. Yeah, you know, the divine service, when, when, when we, you know, intentionally we go to church, we have to decide to get up, we have to get in the car, we have to go to church. So we, we, do, we do a lot of things to get there. Got to remember that it's the Holy Spirit who has drawn us there, and it is God who has arranged it for us to be there. But nonetheless, we do have a sense that we're doing something. Uh, but but the this business of worship is really an exercise in 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 faith as objective relationship to God. You know, in other words, we're not coming to church to have a God experience. We're not coming to church to feel closer to God or to feel really much of anything. We are, we are coming to objectively receive His word of forgiveness his body and blood, you know, that's all outside of us, given to us. It's really kind of a radical exercise of objectivity. You know, we're not sitting around meditating. We're not sitting around in silent contemplation, not in church. I mean, you can do that at home if you want, but, but you know, the, the divine service is a, a, it's a real exercise in that objective side of faith that clings to an objective savior who actually died on a cross, rose from the dead, and is here speaking to you and giving you his body and blood in the supper. And and uh, participation in a church service is a very active uh, is a very active deed. Uh, and you go up to the church, you you, uh, you confess your sins, you are given absolution, you hear readings from the Bible, you get a sermon telling you what it means, you get the uh, supper, you get the wine, the bread. And you're all participating in this. And what's very important is you're participating in it with other people, with others who have your, your same faith and your same belief. Uh, and that, I think, is one way to realize that you do have the faith because you have the faith in Jesus. Well, yeah, the, see, that's, a, that's another, um, you know, the fancy term is extra nos outside of ourselves, the externals. Um, even our... Our status as priests to God, you know, we're all part of the priesthood of believers. We are anointed priests, which is a, that's a high dignity. That's the highest dignity that you can give a human being, priest. Um, that's what Adam was, you know, in, in, in the very beginning. Uh, Adam was like priest of creation. And, and so we're, we're priests. Christ has made us his priests and his priesthood. But not priests alone, not priests in isolation, not, not uh, you know, autonomous little priests all kind of independently. Go. We are priests in a priesthood. And, and so when we gather as the church, we, we are, you know, we're the body of Christ being the body of Christ. 
and and we are members of the body of Christ, but we are not individually the body of Christ. Again, very important. There's an there's an external outside reference to all of this. We're not just simply internally oriented. You know, in another time, another porch conversation, we can talk about the internals because there's an interior life too, and there's nothing wrong whatsoever with feeling like your faith is strong. There's nothing wrong with feeling like your faith is weak. <laughs> when I'm weak, then he is strong, you see. Um, but that just, that, that feeling, that subjective feeling is what it is. It's like I can look outside and I can say it's raining or it's sunny or it's whatever. That just is what it is, but it doesn't define our relationship before God. Well, That's external, God does that. Well, for example, uh Take the uh, the story of the uh, of the taxpayer on the rooftop saying, "God have mercy on me, a sinner." Now there was a guy who <laughs> who really I think exhibited faith. He he knew he was a sinner. He knew what he was what he was and what he wasn't. But he also knew that he would be accepted and forgiven by God. You know, you, I, I'm not sure what episode you're referring to. Well, there, there was but... the, the, the Pharisee next to him talking about how oh, he kept all the laws. Oh, that's in the synagogue. Yeah, the the uh, the Pharisee, you know, kind of goes to the front and basically prays. You know, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like everybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, that's and the one. Then he recites his credentials. I tithe. You know, even down to the the herbs in my herb garden. I you know, and uh, and I'm especially thankful to you this day, Lord, that I'm not like that. <laughs> that tax collector in the back <laughs> row and 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 then the and, and then by way of contrast and it really is a study of contrast the tax collector cannot even lift his eyes heavenward and he simply beats his breast and he says lord have mercy upon me a sinner and jesus adds very interestingly and that man went home justified um, you know, it, it didn't say he stopped being a tax collector, mm -hmm. you know, it didn't say he stopped, uh, you know, stopped having cocktails at five o'clock in the afternoon, whatever. But he went home justified uh, because he brought nothing before God. He, he couldn't even lift his eyes before. He was a beggar. He was empty handed. You know, you said that, that worship is very active. It's kind of actively passive. We, uh, we, yeah, and, and I don't want to, I don't don't push this analogy too far, but it really is kind of like going to a restaurant where, you know, you get there and what do you do? You do nothing. You sit down and people serve you, you know, and then they take away the dishes and they clean. That's why that's why going to a restaurant is so awesome, because you, you do nothing. You don't cook the meal. You don't you, you haven't you haven't done the preparations in the morning. Uh, you don't plate the dish. You don't bring it to the table. You know they do everything but feed you in a restaurant. You know, <laughs> and that's what makes the that's what makes the the experience so delightful and why we pay top dollar for that experience. Oh, at least pre-COVID. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm reaching back into deep memory now because the last <laughs> time I was ever in a restaurant was in March. Uh, now I just live by carry out but <laughs> um but you know what i'm saying it it's it's uh our kind of our participate our participation ends when we show up and and it's like god takes over the reins oh i'm glad you're here as long as you're here let let, let me uh let me let me pour a bunch of forgiveness into you and uh, let, let, let me stuff my word in your ears and and my supper in your mouth and uh and you know it's of course polite to say thank you with our prayer praise and thanksgiving but but uh 
um, by and large, we, we, we show up and receive. And, and again, that's, see, that's, that's, that's the on-off switch of faith. And I don't know about you, but I feel all kinds of different ways in church. Sometimes I feel really close to God. It's very spiritual. Sometimes I barely keep my mind, you know, and I'm the one in charge. Okay, so if it's like like that with me, I'm sure it's like that with you. Um, Sometimes I barely have, you know, if you were to ask me what the reading was 10 minutes after I read it, I'd be I'd have to think, what was it now exactly? You know, and that's how it is, because, you know, in us, there's nothing reliable. But in Christ, there's absolute certainty. See, and that's, that's the beauty. When we die, hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Not hold thou my faith before my closing eyes, because that's not going to get me anywhere. Well, Jesus said that he came to serve, not to be served. And I'm thinking, you know, with your restaurant analogy, you know, that's, that's actually very, very uh, concise, very... Uh... Well, yeah, I mean, he's, 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 the, uh, he's the, the chef and he's the food. <laughs> and uh, now, you know, he's not the waiter. Even like at the, the feeding of the 5,000, he, he gave it to the disciples to give to the people. There's little details, kind of fun. Uh, Jesus never fed anybody directly when he fed the 5,000, but he, he took the, the loaves, he took the fish, and then he, he's handing it out to his 12, and they feed everybody. Because he told them, you feed them. So he provides the means by which they can feed them. So there's holy ministry right there. So, you know, your pastor, me, we're, we're, the, uh, we're the table server. We're the waiters. We're table servers. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I got to take a little break here so we can continue doing our, our service here. But we'll be back in just a few minutes. quite a year, a lot of uncertainty. But there is one thing you can count on if you're a member of the Concordia Plans. Your benefits through the Concordia Plans are always with you to help keep you physically, emotionally, and financially healthy. Protect yourself and your family by signing up for your healthcare benefits, along with additional insurance and saving for retirement. Choose your 2021 benefits November 2nd through the 20th at concordiaplans.org slash my account. How do I keep my kids in church? Will there still be a church for them to go to? New people have moved into my neighborhood. How do I reach out to them? Our challenges are many, but it is Jesus who makes disciples for life through his church. Let's come together as the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod to discuss this joyful work. Learn more about the Making Disciples for Life initiative at lcms.org slash making disciples. Again, that's lcms.org slash making disciples. Music lets people who speak different languages do something together, sing. In that way, it is both a welcoming and a unifying force. Good music doing good work. That's what you'll hear on the next Sing for Joy. Be part of it. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news. 
Julia Ward Howe was a trailblazer who fought for women's rights and the abolition of slavery, yet perhaps more popularly known for writing the lyrics to a most beloved American hymn. Julia Ward Howe read the Bible thoroughly, even slept with it under her pillow as a child. And her battle hymn of the Republic, written during the Civil War, has not only endured, but become a song for America. John Steinbeck included the entire poem at the beginning of his book, The Grapes of Wrath. Martin Luther King Jr. quoted it and often had it sung in public. Throughout the lyrics, Julia Ward Howe called upon the words of the Bible to inspire and capture images she portrayed of a literal battle scene using language from Isaiah, Ezekiel, Matthew, and the book of Revelation to enhance the emotion of its call to march on. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Back, so let's talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. My guest pastor today is Bill Swirla, and we are talking about how do you know that you have enough faith? What is faith, especially when you start approaching the end of your years? If you've got some thoughts on this, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, that's 314-8210-850, or anywhere in the lower 48, it's 1-800-730-2727. Well, Bill, as I was saying, uh, before uh, we actually got you on the air, maybe you heard me say this or not, uh, but, you know, I, I just recently lost a, a close relative, and it uh, made me realize, you know, I, you know, hey, I'm starting to get up there myself. You know, I'll wake up in the morning, and I think I'm still this 20-year-old kid, and then I try to get out of bed, and, and the, the joints ache. <laughs> And yeah. I realized, whoops, and uh, I think to myself, you know, gee, you know, when my grandfathers were my age, they've been dead for years. And uh, so I'm looking, and I know that that day is approaching. Who knows when, but, you know, I know that uh, I'm definitely on the uh, downside slope. Well, you know, it's it's good to know you're on the downhill slope. I call it the third trimester of life. Uh, the 60 and beyond, you know, you have one, you have zero to 30, 30 to 60, 60 and beyond, third trimester of life. And it's a good one. And I think thanks to um, modern life, mostly, uh, you know, I think we can live fairly healthily uh, through a large part of that and, and whatnot. But I think even with the marvels of modern medicine and, you know, just overall better health maintenance, um, in that third trimester, you really do see uh, the grave. <laughs> it may be distant or it may be near, but you you do have a sense that you have a you know a finite number of years left. You've always had a finite number of years, but you just didn't think of it that way. You know, the when you're 20, you think you're immortal. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, but but when you're 60, you know you're not. In fact, when you turn 60, some of your compatriots from high school and college may have already, they may have already cashed it in. You know, and and uh, you start you you notice that that in your second trimester of life. You go to a lot of baby showers, or you go to a lot of weddings, and it's very life-oriented, you know. And you're you're building a family, you're building a career, you're building a home, all these things. 
when you're when you turn 60 and you enter that third trimester you go to a lot of funerals is what happens and you know and and you know people who've got some serious illness or and and, and whatnot so it's a different perspective it's not gloom and doom by any stretch of the imagination it's, it's just a uh, kind of a teach us to number our days that we may acquire a heart of wisdom moment. And I think that goes with the biblical age of 60 as being the age of wisdom, because I think it's only when you have your mortality in view that you have the right perspective on life in general. Well, I look, you know, I look at it, I'm, I'm well past 60, so I'm supposedly wise, right? Uh, but, you know, the older I get, the less I know. The older I get, the less certain I am about things that I thought I knew. Well, you know, I, I, I mentioned that once to uh, one of the uh, pastors here. I said, why is it the older I get, the less I know? And he said to me, that means you're getting smart. <laughs> no, it means you're getting wise. Ah, you're getting wise. I, I smart, smart is what sophomores are. You know, the, the word sophomore is a, a wise fool, sophos moros. And, you know, it's, it's your smart aleck kid when they come home from second year of college now, you know, and <laughs> now, now they know everything. And so you get to listen to the lectures, so, you know, of, all the, of everything that you don't know and they know. That's, that's why they call second year of anything the sophomoric year. Um, the more you learn and the more knowledge you acquire, the more you realize there are things you don't know that you don't know. See, and, and I think by the time you get to where we are in that third trimester, you start to realize there are things that you don't know that you will never know. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's humbling. And humility is good. It's part of wisdom. Uh, but it's, it's humbling. And, and I, think, I think it gives you a fuller embrace on life. That's at least my experience of it. I, I feel that today... At age 63, I embrace life more fully than I ever did in my 20s and 30s. Well, I find, I guess I'm going to say, I find a contentment now that I did not have in my earlier years. I mean, there were, there were some excitement, there were some really bad times, but there was always up and down, up and down, up and down. Now at this point in my, in my life, I'm, I'm just finding a contentment. Contentment is good. It's a gift from God. Oh, yeah. Now, as I say, as I've said before, you know, sometimes boredom is good. <laughs> I've had enough excitement in my life. Well, yeah. And, and excitement as melodrama. We don't need any more of that. Although, you know, I mean, I, I know seniors who are capable of a lot of melodrama, too. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. But um, I, I do think that... If, if we had no hope, if, if we did not see, if we were not able to look over the shoulder of death, as it were, and see that it's not the last word, but that life is the last word, that eternal life in Christ is the last word that God has for us, there might be despair, depression, uh, anxiety, fear, you know, the whole range of things. But I think... Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have, we have a glimpse beyond the grave. So that we can, with St. Paul, say, you know, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? You know, it's like, is that all you got? You killed me? Is that all you got? 
you know. <laughs> and but but you can only say that in light of Jesus' resurrection and the promise that he's made to us, which faith clings to, that we too shall rise. You know, that in Christ all have died and in Christ all shall rise. And and I think it's it's that promise that allows us to live that third trimester of life uh, facing death all the day long, which we do anyway, but we just don't realize it. Yeah. And, and do so with hope and do so with contentment and do so with rejoicing. Um, you know, I, I think back to Paul's Philippian letter. It's full of joy, continual admonitions to rejoice. You know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. And he's writing from prison. You know, he's, he's, he's lost his freedom. You know, and he could be angry, he could be bitter, he could be all kinds of things. He's brimming with joy because he can do all things through him who gives him strength. You know, with uh, the faith question, you know, we talk about when we, now that we get older, we get wiser, supposedly, and we understand what our faith is. And as you pointed out, there's objectives and subjective, but we do have that faith. We get there. But then I look at the young child who has absolute faith. Well, that's and that's why unless you become as little children, Jesus says, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That's not becoming childish. That's not becoming ignorant. That's not being irresponsible. You know, don't, don't it's not being little in stature, but it is being givable to it's that trust of a child, uh, which makes the child very vulnerable. You know, what, what do you have to do? You have to tell children, you know, don't talk to strangers. You know, why? Because they trust everybody. You know, and, and but it's that, it's that trust and giveability, that receivability uh, of a child that is the childlike quality that is the quality of faith itself. Faith before God is childlike in that sense. It's trusting and it's receivable. And even if the gift does not look like a gift, it still receives it that way. Death. So <laughs> Who would have thought death would be a gift, right? Well, some, <laughs> some people talk like that, you know, but I, I think if you don't, you, you can only talk about death truly as gift if, you, if Christ is in the middle of it. Well, I think you're right. I mean, well, you know, as, as uh, Roy Askin wrote here in his, in his opening, if I can get my glasses on so I can read the thing, Yet another symptom of getting older. <clears throat> he said, you know, death is not a good thing. Death, uh, God imposed it on Adam and even the entire human race as punishment for sin. So, no, it's not a gift. Right. Not a gift. Yeah. I, I, but it is a gift. Okay, explain that. This is Precious a, this is, the this, this is a paradox. The Lord is the death of his children. Precious. Blessed are those who die in the Lord henceforth. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, for they rest from their labors and their works do follow them. That's why I said in Christ. Apart from Christ, death is the, is the wages of sin. It's the condemnation of the law. It's the, it's the, the consequences. You disobey God, you die. Okay, that's, that's, that's death apart from Christ, put Christ into it, and it becomes gift. It becomes the, 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 like Jesus says, you know, unless the grain dies, it cannot be fruitful, referring to himself, 
referring to his own death and burial. He had to die in order to be fruitful, in order to be savior. See, so so you, you have to keep it Christ-focused, Christ-centered. That's what makes Lutheranism, Lutheran theology, um, a, a, you know, that, that's, what, that's what keeps me Lutheran, is that no matter what we talk about, death itself has to be viewed Christ-centeredly. And when it is, that completely changes everything. Plus we the have- old the old Adam will view it as 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 curse absolutely because because for the old Adam that's it it's curtains for him he's done uh, you know but 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 not for the new man in Christ the, the new man in Christ that's how the martyrs could go to their death with joy singing hymns confessing Christ well we also. Um, as Lutherans, uh, you know, recognize our, our old Adam, our sinful nature, which I don't think a lot of other denominations do. Uh, a number of years back, I was at a, uh, a, a seminar, and uh, one of the questions asked to the people, we all had to write this in and turn it in, was, are you a good person on a scale of 1 to 10? And there were about 30 of us in the seminar, and we all turned ours in, and I put my... (laughs) Everybody thought they were a good person except for me. (laughs) (laughs) The the correct answer is no one is good save God alone. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And this, this is part of the thing that I find so comforting in Lutheranism, a number of different things, but the is the knowledge of my imperfection the knowledge of how weak I am combined with the knowledge of grace. Well, uh, you know, that gets back to the faith thing, right? When you look at yourself, whether it be your piety, your good works, your believing, your prayers, whatever, when you look inside yourself, when you look to yourself, um, you will find nothing that is of any certainty, nothing that gives you any ground of confidence. You know, and that's why over and over and over again, the Bible, the liturgy, uh, directs our attention to Christ, the author, the perfecter of our faith. You know, because it's only in him that we have the kind of certainty, the kind of groundedness that we need to not only face day-to-day life, life in a COVID era, but also day-to-day death, death of loved ones, our own death, you know, we can only do that with confidence, with certainty, as as we behold Christ, the author and the finisher, the perfecter, the one who brings our faith to completion. Well, the knowledge, the knowledge that we are forgiven, but again, that's an issue of faith. And as you pointed out, uh, it's 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 an on-off switch. You know, it's not a you can't control the volume on it. You have it or you don't have it. Um, and I wonder how many people. We, we I'm sure that we've all known people who are on their deathbed who are terrified. Does that person not have faith? Well, you know, the, the fear, fear and faith go together. I think in many ways. Um, Fear is what? Well, what is it? What? What? What is the fear of death? I I think it's the fear of the unknown. If 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 I were to tell you, you know, when I was a little kid, I was afraid of going down in the basement when it was dark. I wouldn't go down those stairs. It was just like going down to a dungeon, you know. And so, I uh, wouldn't go. Wouldn't go alone. Somebody had to go with me. Okay, 
And, you know, if, if somebody said, oh, it's okay, just go down, you'll be fine. <laughs> Will you come with me? No, I'm not. No, no, I'm not going to. No, I, no, I'm not going with you. But you, it'll be fine. Trust me. Um, you know, you either trust that or you don't. Um, Psalm 23, I think, speaks to that. Even though I walk through the dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death, well, you know, how does it go? I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And, and you know, our good shepherd has gone ahead of us. It's not like Jesus just basically from, you know, from heaven, from the throne in heaven says, hey, that's nothing to worry about. Just trust me. It's okay. You'll be fine. But, but, but he went through it. Yeah. He actually showed us that death is not the end. Exactly. And, and so, uh, but fear from our, but yeah, I, I think in a sense, fear is natural because we are going into an unknown from which we've never heard back from anybody. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead, but we have not been talking to him about that experience. And he doesn't have much to say about it, you notice, in the, in, in the Gospels. Lazarus was, was, was rescued from the dead, and we don't hear a word from him. So there's a lot of unknown unknowns here, and, and that's going to bring up fear. I don't know about you, but when I go into an unknown situation, there's a little apprehension. Uh, this is a big unknown situation, so there's going to be apprehension. And that's why the continual refrain, fear not, fear not, fear not, that's not a rebuke, okay? That's that's basically, you know, that's God saying, look, um, I want your fear. Give it to me. You should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Give me your fear. You're afraid of dying? Forget that. Fear me, and then 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 I'm, and I've got you covered, you know? And so uh, I think fear is natural. Fear is looking for an object. And, and, and so, uh, again, like everything else, direct it to Christ. Direct those fears to Christ. It's like you went, you went ahead before me. Go with me in this. Well, one of the things that we, that we think of, and I, I think it's a, a, maybe a bit shallow, is that we, we're thinking that everyone is capable of faith. Uh, what about those people who, for example, are heavy Alzheimer's or losing their memory, or who are perhaps, you know, they're, they're approaching the end of their life, but they are beyond the point where they can express faith? That's a great, that is a great example. Um, you know, you could be, it could be your medical condition. It could be maybe the drugs that you have to treat your medical condition. It could be dementia it could be alzheimer's uh, there are all kinds of ways that we can basically lose touch with ourselves and see the great comfort is again that's the comfort in the objective side of faith you know just because the volume knob has gone down to almost zero the on off switch has not been clicked off you know god turned that on in your baptism you ain't turning it off and so there's, there's a, there's, even when we are asleep, you know, even when we're asleep, we're not, we're not sort of, we're, we're hardly, you know, actively believing when we're asleep. And what about those weird dreams that you have, which might cause one to really doubt whether, whether you're a believer at all. I mean, some of my dreams are horrifying. Oh, gosh, some of them, you know, they'd make great horror movies. I, you know, if I would just write these things down, I could be a rich man in retirement, just writing like bizarre horror movies out of my dreams. <laughs> well, I heard a, uh, an interview once with uh, Stephen King some years back. Ah. And he said, well, he said the secret is, is that he remembered his nightmares. 
Yes, right, exactly. And, and I, you know, I don't know what it is. It's the devil plaguing me. It's my subconscious. Uh, it, it's just random. I don't know, you know, but I don't even bother to analyze it. You know, I just kind of wake up, say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. I go back to sleep again. Okay, that's it. Um, but see, that's the thing is, is that no matter what, just throw it on Jesus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think we spend far too much time sort of self-analyzing our faith in Christ and our piety and everything else, and far too little of our energy focused on Christ and him alone. And, and again, I, I can't say it enough that, that he is our ground of certainty. It's not in ourselves. It's not in our piety. It's not even in our believing. When Jesus says to the Canaanite woman, your faith has healed you, he may as well have said, I, I your Jesus, have healed you because he's the entire focus of that woman. You know, yes, her trust, her faith, uh, caused her to seek him out, sneak up behind him, do all these kinds of things. Or in the, in the one case, uh, you know, where Jesus rebuffs her, says, I didn't come, you know, for the dogs. And she says, fine, you know, yeah, I'm a dog, you know, but we get the crumbs. <laughs> and, and, you know, see, that's, that's, that's faith. Never mind me, I don't care. Call me what you want, little lap dog. It's all, it's, it's fine. Oh, uh, we get the crumbs that fall from the mat, don't we? You know, and and yeah, I think in all those instances in the gospel, Jesus is not doing that for the person. You know, he's doing that for the disciples because the disciples don't get it. They don't get the way of faith. They're the one. They're 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 the ones of little faith. Canaanite women have great faith. Oh, woman, great is your faith. To Peter, oh, you of little faith. You notice how it's always the disciples who are the little faith ones? Yeah. <laughs> Denying Jesus? I, I don't know him. I don't know Oh, him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm willing to die for you. I'd never deny you. Yeah. You know, and some kid comes up to him. You're, you're Galilean. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Swear to God, I don't know him. <laughs> you know, yeah. And so I think the gospel writers themselves are very transparent about this. That it's, it's, it's not the strength of your believing. It's the strength of Jesus' death and resurrection that gets you through this. And, uh, and we need to hang, hang on to this, I, I think, today. You know, these are very testing times. And, and we want to put our faith, hope, and trust in all kinds of things, in human institutions, in people, even in pastors, and even worse, in politicians and all of this stuff. None of these people are going to save you. You know, only only Christ alone can save us and has saved us. We we have a bad habit of inflating our own importance. <laughs> it's called old Adam. <laughs> look, at, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. It was the woman that you gave to me that did the, Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Not my fault. <laughs> oh, gee. I remember that one from uh, from Sunday school, questioning the, uh, questioning the teacher on that. Gee. It's like he's, he's he's trying to blame God and 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 what's your name and Eve for the things that he did. That's exactly right. Uh-huh. <laughs> the blame game. <laughs> the blame game. You know. I mean, they never say God. You know, the woman you uh, gave me. Um, you know, the serpent you put here. You should have known better. You know. You know what he's like. Uh, <laughs> but it really, you know, in the end, blaming, blaming God and, and in that narrative, you know, what's, what's really going on here? Self, first of all, you know, Eve makes a, 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 a decision 
to disobey the word of God based on self. She saw the fruit was beautiful, it was desirable, it made you wise, it was good, you know, I mean, it smelled nice, whatever. So what could possibly be wrong? You know, she followed her heart. And, and, uh, and likewise, Adam, without a word, just kind of, you know, take, takes the fruit and eats it, eats it. And then being caught red-handed, they try to cover themselves. First they try to hide, yeah. then they try to... Well, they you know, eat the apple, clothing. and the first thing that they do afterwards is, oh my gosh, I don't have any clothes on. Yeah, don't don't call it an apple, kids. Because yeah, then kids don't eat an their apple, apples, and an apple a day keeps the doctor away, all that stuff. So no, no, it's it's <laughs> just, it's not it's not a fruit you and I know. It's not a pomegranate, okay? It's just, no, it's just, it's fruit. Just go with fruit. It's not a fruit you can find in the store, so don't go there. Thank but, heavens. Yeah, <laughs> right. but, but you know, with the first thing they do after they've bitten into this knowing good and evil, and I like to put it that way, they bit into the notion that they can know, experience good and evil. See, God only makes good. So where do you get this notion of good and evil in the first place? I remember Kenneth Corby, one of my, one of my mentors, uh, you know, he used to say, our, fa- our continual fascination is with good and evil. God's continual fascination is with death and life. <laughs> <laughs> and that's very true. But the first thing, the first result of their biting into this notion that they can experience God's creation as good and evil is they become self-aware. Why do I say that? They realize they're naked. The only, the only time you realize, you're, by the way, you ever had those naked dreams? Speaking of dreams, you know, where you like show up to work and you forgot to get dressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Very common, very common. But but anyway, the only, the only time you realize you're naked is when you're self-aware. You're paying attention to yourself. You go, whoa, not wearing any clothes. Um, and and you're, 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 you're seeing self vis-a-vis the other. If, if your attention is solely on the other, you don't realize you're naked, which is why you ended up going to work without clothes in the dream. <laughs> Hopefully not in reality, otherwise you'd be fired. Well, Bill, we're approaching the last uh, 30 or 40 seconds of the on program. That, on that, that note, what an interesting note. Yes, for it your is. Show to end naked on the porch. Oh dear me! <laughs> Shame on us! <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we should finish that story. You know, they tried to they tried to stitch fig leaves. Really silly uh-huh. works of self righteousness. God clothes them with skins. Sacrifice. Something died to clothe them. Hmm. It's all gospel. See, it's all Christ. Well, it certainly wasn't a fashion designer. <laughs> What? What? Fig leaves? Nothing more fashionable than the righteousness of Christ? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the... the it's the fig- wedding suit. You don't have the wedding, you know, like last week's gospel. Oh, you know, yeah. kick you. He's given out Armani at the door, but if you're not going to wear it, you get kicked out. So, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, You know, that's right. That's right. So, you know... Don't don't show up without your baptismal suit. <laughs> okay. Well, Bill, I want to thank you for being on the program here. Oh, hey, thanks for letting me on the porch late. Okay, no problem. Okay, we'll do it again problem. sometime, okay? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate All righty. Listening to The Pastor Is In 
a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.